The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Hello and welcome to Squawk Box. Here are your headlines today. Big tech spurs a rebound. The Nasdaq notches its biggest one-day gain in nearly a month despite Treasury yields extending their climb, with the 10-year reaching levels not seen since 2007. The countdown is on. Arm unveils its regulatory filing, setting the stage for a September Nasdaq listing in what could be the largest tech offering since Alibaba. S&P mirroring the uh, Moody's moves with the ratings agency downgrading five US banks and dimming its outlook on several more as it warns of tighter credit conditions in the sector. Plus, BHP profits tumble, but Woodside's soar. Australia's largest oil and gas company delivering record first half results. As the CEO, Meg O'Neill, tells CNBC she feels constructive about talks with trade unions. Given the tone of the discussions we've been having with the workforce, you know, we're, we're optimistic that we can continue to make headway with them in a constructive way and, you know, avoid any sort of significant industrial action. And South Africa welcomes leaders of the BRICS nations, with the bloc potentially looking to expand its membership to act as a viable counterweight to the Western G7. We had a little bit of everything for markets yesterday. The yield story stateside uh, still escalating. The elevated 10-year yield should be enough to destroy the trajectory for technology, but uh, separate features still playing out, and it's the AI story. So there were themes of that credit cost story playing out for markets, but as we count down to NVIDIA numbers out this week, the market again just raking over their expectations and how that stock is placed. We saw an escalation there. The Nasdaq, too, are taking off 1.5% to the upside but uh, the Dow was in reverse and you could see some of that reddit coming through the markets. It was down about a tenth of a percent and the S&P's fortunes held back to an extent uh, versus what you saw on the Nasdaq. But that yield story in focus as we count down to Jackson Hole later in the week, the symposium of central bankers, it is a key one and uh, the Treasury story as a result uh, is something the market is closely watching. 4.35, the level we got to yesterday, we're still in that range uh, morning session but we're elevated everywhere at the 30-year. We saw that early in our trade yesterday and at the short end uh, where we're perched above that 5% handle. So the markets are closely eyeing what they're going to get from Jay Powell, not from other policymakers too. But a 16-year high is what we've seen on that 10-year. The elevated yield also driving the dollar trade. Uh, let's just take a look at where we are this morning and take stock of the, the greenback story. We've seen a little bit of a bounce actually for sterling and euro versus the greenback. So it is a clawback for some of the European trades this morning. 127.68 up a tenth of a percent. Slightly stronger up just over a tenth. Uh, almost uh, above that 109 level as you can see. 109. Uh, 08 at this point, not 109.10 yet, but uh, in the range as you can see. Dollar coming off versus the Japanese yen too, but stronger versus the Chinese currency. To WTI, Brent Gold, the commodities complex this morning. It's a fairly muted action, I've got to say. We haven't strayed too far. The biggest signal really on Brent where we've come off by about a tenth of a percent. 84.35 the handle, fairly stable though on WTI, 80.70. 
and on gold we're not moving too much in either direction just perched below 1900 US dollars the Asian markets are still a huge digestion of the the facts that have been coming out of the Chinese market the uh, stimulus measures and you can see as a result a very mixed picture modest ranges though versus some larger swings we've seen in recent sessions the uh, China proxy Australia some uh, weak news out of uh, that market today for BHP the largest resources uh, company in the world and that's impacted the Australian market as you can see China tipping into the red uh, slightly higher the Hong Kong market and my eight tenths north on the Nikkei 225 so that is a stronger trade this morning the early signals from uh, US futures it's a uh, red ink story so far we are getting indications to the downside so again somewhat cautious action at this early stage but again not huge ranges are they see I have a problem as you well know, and our viewers know, I have many problems, but, but I'm trying to work through those. And by the way, good morning to you. Good morning. Radiant as ever. Great summary at the wall. One of the things you said to me at the wall, and said to our viewers at the wall, was everyone's waiting for Jay Powell. Jay Powell speaks in Jackson Hole, in Wyoming, beautiful Grand Tetons. We've got a brilliant preview from Steve Leesman coming up. But it's like, am I the only person who knows the ending of this story? It's like going to a great Poirot, like Death on the Nile or Murder on the Orient Express or, or a J.B. Priestley, The Inspector Calls or The Mousetrap, if you're aware of that, where you kind of know who done it. You mean I, you know the ending for this week, I, I but, but not of, for the broader story on rates? No, I haven't got a clue about that. Neither has any of this lot out there. Well, they, if they do think they do, then they don't, really. But, but the truth is, we all know what he's going to say. And, and this is the hilarious thing. Everyone's going, oh, what's Jay Powell going to say? What's Jay Powell But actually, we all know what he's going to say. We have to be cognizant of the risk to the upside, but of course, we are still in restrictive territory, uh, and we see actually a potential for a lessening of pace of, of hiking rates from here, although we're not necessarily confirming that we are done as he would confirm in questions like we all know roughly 95% about who murdered now we may not like uh, like on Cluedo we may not know that it is with the candelabra in the library uh, that Colonel Mustard did it but we roughly know the story don't we of what's going to happen here on Friday so the anticipation the column inches the great Steve Leesman preview to come we kind of know the answer, don't we? Well, I think the problem is we don't know the longer term answer, so we're still looking for the shorter term clues. Right, but we're still hoping that there's some thinking that they can lean into. And we were talking about that on the show yesterday. The neutral rate, if the neutral rate is at just 0.5 of a percent, at what not point the case, does though, it get tweaked? That well, is it is not, according to where the policymakers were at. Not. So we've, we've obviously moved a long way from there in terms no of. No one timing. on this planet still believes, surely, that the neutral rate. Is 0.5. I, I don't believe that for one minute. Sorry, Karen. I know that we, we had this mild contretemps yesterday, but I'll carry it on because I think it's good telly. I, I don't believe that neutral rate is 0.5% in the slightest, but and I can't believe that there's anyone on this planet who believes but, that. Okay, now. well, if you don't think so, but then what is it? So I think this is the other conundrum. Well, it's I think not it's point... two and a half to three percent. Right, okay. Well, the, you may, may be the only person. No, 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 no I'm not. not the only that's what I've read from that. the analysts. Right, well, the point is the markets then need to reprice around some of these new narratives. And I don't think we've seen that by and large. Don't forget, we've still got a lot of people saying, well, we are going to have a soft landing. Others are saying, oh, well, my hard landing scenario that's just been disappeared or yanked away in recent days. So I think there's still a lot of moving pieces around what numbers are the real numbers to work with. And that's the, the big question mark over your whodunit, uh, you know, why we're still <laughs> waiting for answers. Yeah, I yeah, totally. I love them. And th that's what we've got on markets too. When, yeah. when it comes to who done it, we've been debating 
what the catalysts are in the backdrop. Real yields? Is it this view on neutral rate? Is it China? I mean, there's been a ton of China news of late and we continue to see it impact the numbers. NVIDIA, for instance, one of the big ones out later on. Uh, the market is still going to get a China impact in those numbers. They're not looking at it because there is so much other demand to fulfill the gap left by China. But in a lot of the numbers we're seeing, there is a China impact and it's coming out of BHP in a big way today. Best Poirot? Probably got to be Peter Houston off, isn't it? I mean, the, the late the great, list in front the of late great Peter. I know, I've got the list. <laughs> no, because Kenneth Branagh's doing it now, of course, and doing a, a damn fine job. Right, S&P Global has cut its credit rating for several US regional banks following a similar move by Moody's earlier this month. S&P downgraded its ratings for Associated Bank Corp, Valley National Bank Corp, UMB Financial Corp and Comerica Bank, citing weaker profits, funding risks and deposit outflows as key risks. S&P said higher interest rates will impact access to liquidity for small regional lenders and that deposits will decline as long as the Federal Reserve is in quantitative tightening mode. Yes, my own personal opinion from what I've heard is it's the latter rather than the former that's absolutely terrifying uh, a lot of these regional banks. That's what uh, I understand to be the case. Around 70% of analysts questioned for the latest National Association of Business Economics or NABE survey uh, believe the Fed will achieve a soft landing. Oh, hang on a second. Let me go back on that read. Really? That's extraordinary. Doesn't that worry all of you out there? 70% of analysts. So you've pretty much got your usual bell curve distribution. That's the herd. They're saying that they think there's going to be a soft landing, bring inflation back down to the 2% range while avoiding a recession. Welcome to Goldilocks, everybody. Around three quarters of polled economists, roughly the same number, believe the Fed's current monetary policy positioning is about correct, which is extraordinary seeing as so many of them thought the Fed was going to break something only a few months ago. Well, Evergrande Group says it's confident it can regain its listing on the Hong Kong Stock Exchange and that its improved controls will meet the exchange's rules. Shares have been suspended since last March after the firm defaulted on its portion of offshore debt. Evergrande sought Chapter 15 bankruptcy protection in the United States last week, which would protect it from creditors seeking to restructure or tie up its assets stateside. UBS and Citigroup have downgraded their growth targets with China, criticising a lack of measures by Beijing to support the country's troubled economy and indebted property sector. Seven banks have now slashed their outlook with UBS, Citi and JP Morgan cutting their full-year GDP forecast to below 5%, the target set by Chinese President Xi Jinping, the lowest in several years. The yuan firmed up against the greenback on Monday but is trading flat today after China's state-owned banks reportedly uh, bought up offshore yuan to stabilise the currency. This according to Reuters. It comes after China's central bank cut its one-year loan prime rate but kept the five-year unchanged. That um, underwhelmed a lot of people. Anyway, potentially amid concerns, it could increase downward pressure on the currency. The currency is down more than 5% versus the dollar so far this year. I cannot stop reading about China. I'm fascinated by the consumer, the demographics, the politics, the social. But let's get to Hunter Chan, the economist over at Standard Chartered. Hunter, really good to see you, sir. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Look, I'm just looking at uh, one of the latest growth forecasts for you. You think China, because of the favourable base effects, can achieve circa 5% in 2023. But is that telling us the full story? My, my worry is there's a lot going on under the hood that we should be more concerned about. Good day to you, sir. Morning, and uh, thank you. I'm happy to be here. I think, uh, yeah, as you mentioned, the uh, base effect actually helped much. 
And uh, our current in-house forecast was 5.4% for full year in China GDP. But of course, uh, there are downside risks that uh, we recognized. Especially, uh, we saw the uh, uh, performance uh, was uh, the growth momentum actually softened uh, from June. The July data comes up uh, with uh, the real additive real uh, performance actually slowed down further to the June level. And uh, of course, uh, the uh, headwinds, uh, which uh, we see uh, domestic challenges and also external uncertainty arouse, uh, give some of the downside risk. Um, domestically, I think uh, what have you mentioned already is about the housing market. Um, we saw the uh, uh, overall the housing indicators, the real estate investment, um, the uh, so-called the uh, home sales uh, or the uh, floor space started all indicated as to actually continue to contract uh, deeply uh, for year to day uh, in the first month of the year. So uh, I think the overall gave us a sense that uh, on the housing market, uh, we saw the government had already stepping up measures to uh, aiming to boost the uh, housing uh, market demand, uh, boosting the, cons uh, the household sentiment and, con uh, and confidence. Um, I think uh, in our view is uh, the, uh, um, we have highlighted a negative feedback loop that uh, uh, in, uh, in the Q4 last year, I think uh, on the uh, real estate sector, uh, it's about that uh, we saw the home sales, which uh, is the uh, primary or, or a very critical source of funding for developers, contracted deeply, and um, and that uh, with the uh, relatively tighter uh, credit conditions last year for developers, uh, had uh, resulted to uh, some uh, uh, rising default events and also uh, the uh, uh, the uh, uh, some of the projects undergoing construction have been uh, stored. Hunter. And uh, yeah, brilliant stuff. And I, I, I noticed how your laser like focus was on the housing market. But I want to switch it slightly. Similar story. Um, still talking about the consumer and their appetite. But but the policy reaction, my understanding, and, I, and I've tried to read so much from people as eminent as yourself, is that the, the government is loath to spend vast amounts of money and raise vast amounts of debt to stimulate the consumer. Uh, fiscally, they're very concerned about the ramifications of that as well, because they actually want to spend more money on an industry, on, on infrastructure, on developing technology as well. Is there a problem in the government response to the slowdown in consumer and the desire for that consumer to not spend money? Is that the missing piece of the jigsaw? Uh, what we think is uh, uh, basically right now the uh, uh, the issues among the households are is about the confidence, uh, the uh, sentiment about the labor market and also the outlook of the in incomes. So I think uh, the PPOC survey has pointed that uh, in Q2, we already see uh, some uh, uh, softening uh, further of the of these uh, indicators. And on the fiscal side, I think. Uh, what uh, what we say is uh, the fiscal spending uh, for the first half of the year, uh, if we look at the funds, government fund spending, which is more related to the uh, project financing, uh, is uh, actually a decline due to the land sales revenue collapse. And I suggest in the first half of the year, the fiscal support actually is relatively uh, conservative uh, compared to last year's front-loading policy stance. Um, so uh, we are talking about the uh, fiscal room for the second half of the year. Actually, there is a fiscal room uh, uh, according to the budget set in March. 
and it's likely to uh, help to uh, if the government uh, decide to fully implement the budget, they can help to right. boost the spending. Right. As for the aspects, yeah, as Hunter, for, yeah, the, so for the aspects, some, I think. Yeah, yeah. So, Hunter, there's fiscal room there, but what about the long-term story? Because what we're dealing with here seems to be now a crisis of confidence. A lot of Western reporting in recent days is around whether China is in fact going to going to grow old before it grows wealthy, very much like other countries we've seen from Japan to, to South Korea. Is the overall China project broken at this point, and does the government need to urgently tackle confidence? I think uh, the uh, urgency or the policy um, actions have taken uh, are addressing the issues. So we see the document from the NDRC talking about boosting the private economies. Uh, also, um, multiple departments have already uh, launched some campaign to help to uh, 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 boost or to support the uh, graduates uh, uh, finding jobs to match with their qualifications or providing trainings. So I think uh, uh, overall, uh, if the growth uh, can stabilize, the recovery story actually remained intact, but just uh, a slowdown. Uh, so it's a back and forth uh, uh, procedure right now. Uh, so if as long as the growth uh, is not turning into a negative uh, zone and the labor market Right now, actually, it's uh, still at a relatively stable conditions. We see the overall unemployment rate actually at a historic low for the um, majority uh, for the major working labor group. So all these supporting the story behind that actually the growth momentum uh, remains, although it's uh, at a slower pace. So uh, uh, based on this, I think uh, uh, with the growth momentum, or the recovery story remains intact. Um, the household's consumption or the, the confidence will gradually recover with the uh, um, uh, the Western measures and also uh, the, uh, the 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 right. government's actions that hoping to improve the overall uh, business environment. Hunter, thank you so much for joining us today and bringing your analysis on the Greater China market. Hunter Chan with us, economist at Standard Chartered. Coming up on the show, the Cambridge-based SoftBank-owned chip designer Arm files for what's set to be the biggest IPO of the year. We'll be looking into some of the numbers in the filing with Arjun. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. Arm has officially filed to list on the Nasdaq, taking the chip designer a step closer to what could be the biggest U.S. IPO since Rivian's near $14 billion offering in 2021. The U.K. firm could start its roadshow early next month, according to Bloomberg. 
An internal transaction between SoftBank and its Vision Fund, detailed in the filing, indicates a $64 billion valuation for the firm, double its 2016 acquisition price. Arjun joins us with more. Arjun, there are high hopes around ARM and that it could revitalise the IPO market. That I have questions over. I mean, Porsche didn't really do that. So one big listed uh, stock doesn't necessarily bring back the entire IPO market. The other point here is that when it comes to the amount of royalties that have been tallied up, a lot of them are coming from the smartphone and consumer electronics market. And this is not exactly a strong area at the moment. No, and when you look at uh, arms revenue in, in the June quarter just gone, you know, they sort of declined because exactly that, the dependence on the smartphone market, the weakness in, in the consumer electronics market we've heard across the board. The key for ARM really and how it's going to justify this valuation is how successfully it pushes into new areas. I think, you know, ARM is typically, ARM-based chips are in 99% of the world's smartphones. It's dominant in that area. But where it hasn't really made a dent as such is in some of these newer areas, the likes of data centers, uh, which are going to be key, of course, to a lot of these artificial intelligence applications what we've been talking about over the last year or so. And so that's going to be pretty key. And I think how it goes to the market and how it tells investors and, and markets itself to investors about its future and its architecture in the world of not just central processing units where it has typically been strong but also these graphics processing units that NVIDIA um, designs and other companies that are seen as key to AI applications. I think that's really going to underpin how it's valued and how investors view this not just as it comes to market but also over the coming years uh, as well. I I'm going to be contrarian. I'm sorry. I'm the most, I'm the only underwhelmed person about Arm Holdings' IPO on the planet. And I appreciate that everyone else is excited, so I am an outlier. Let me go through it. It's a 32-year-old company. It's a company that we have spoken to the CEOs many times over the years, and it's a brilliant company. But it's a story that we know, and it's all the upside factors we know. We know about the 99% in smartphones. I've, I've talked about it with other chip makers before and how they can have their IP in the chips. Well, we've, we've done this. We spoke to Robin Saxby at, over a decade ago. We spoke to the other CEOs. It's a great company, but it's a known known. We know about this company. It's a company that, in many ways, is struggling to grow. And the difference between this, apart from the fact that it's been around 32 years rather than some of these startups, is, is that we know the revenue story. It's not one of these ones like NVIDIA where who knows what we're going to get from NVIDIA this week. It could be, you know, up 20% day for the stock. It could be a down 20% because we know basically that this is the future. We just don't know how they're going to monetize it. And that's the exciting sizzle. But we kind of know the map, the route for ARM out of here for the core business. And you touched upon the, the upside potential. And that is what can they do that's new? Well, the answer is everyone's trying to find the new thing and everyone's trying to do it, but they haven't got it at the moment. So what they've got is revenues declining, I think was the last figure I saw. In the June quarter, they did. In the last quarter. So you've got a stock that hasn't got this exponential revenue growth that some of these other companies have got. And it's a brilliant company. I'm not knocking arm. It's an amazing company with amazing IP. It's just, it's an old story repackaged. And I can't get excited about that. I think that's a fair point. I think what, and that's why I think it's going to be key that... Obviously, when you read, I've read through the perspectives, the amount of times they mentioned machine learning and AI, uh, because that they know is going to be key to the growth story if they manage to, to get there, right? Show me the... Because Cooper Gooding Jr., 
as possibly the biggest financial genius of all time, or certainly the, the, the film, Jerry Maguire. Because it's like, show me, the, I love talking about AI. I love talking to, about SPACs. I love point. talking about cloud. Show me the money. To that point, the money will come quicker than anywhere else because it's right at the forefront of the AI changes, Is right? It? In terms of the Is licensing it? and the, the architecture. Are I mean, you sure it, about well, you that? have to create it first yeah. for anyone else to build it out. So it's right at the beginning well, of the I thought NVIDIA was sequence. right at the forefront. I, I must have got this wrong. What Arm argues in, in its prospectus, and this is where it feels, uh, and we'll see if, the, if they manage to do this and if investors feel the same way, but it feels that it can play a role in the future of AI because, yes, NVIDIA with its GPUs have been very critical to training all this data, but actually you still need a lot of the workloads that run on ARM-based architecture and where it sees, and this is going to just sound really boring, but actually where it sees the future is that actually we just need better chips that consume less power. Yeah. That, that is gen gen right. genuinely where it sees its future. Uh, we need chips that consume less power, but actually can take on these very heavy workloads. And ARM so argues that... Well, it is about AI, but it needs better chips. It's, not, it's going to be an upgrade cycle, if, isn't it? Another upgrade cycle it, that's triggered. If ARM... If, if, you show me the money. If ARM, ARM is arguing that, look, AI is going to require huge workloads. It's yes. going to require key chips to do that. No one's disagreeing it with that. It feels that if it can get to that point where it's bringing the chips to market that can handle these workloads alongside the likes of NVIDIA and et cetera, et cetera, that it can see a real boom here. But that, that's the big if. And that, I think, really if, is going to underpin if, the valuation story. As the Spartans story. said to the, to the opposition backing whatever it was, BC, if. And that's the point. All these things are amazing. If. Probably if. the best you know, laconic response of all time. There is another if here, and that is the China revenues. 24% yeah. of the revenues coming from China, but uh, it's only a fraction coming through Arm China, which is a, a separate company, yeah. right? So there's sort of a natural gate between Arm and those China revenues. Is that a good or a bad thing? I think the, the, the reliance on China for any chip company these days is, is a massive sort of overhanged a massive risk and again one of the, the the risks the company flagged in its perspectives was around geopolitics and the fact that there's a fr an increasingly fragmenting world in chips where US sanctions etc trying to chop off China from some of these key technologies and that actually could be a, a big impact on the company going forward if that fragmentation continues and if other architectures emerge so perhaps companies in China looking, I mean, this is a very difficult thing to achieve, but companies in China looking to almost create a, a replica of ARM over in China. And I think that is a, still a big overhang for this company going forward. And just for the, the reference of my if as well, Philip of Macedon, um, crushing victory, you know, uh, against Sparta, uh, leaving it weak and without all Philip sent a message to the Spartans saying, if I invade Laconica, you will be destroyed. Never again to rise. And do you know what the Spartans said back to him? I think you know the answer now. If. if. <laughs> For a bloke who makes his living saying lots of words, is that not the best response ever? If. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.